0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of and First United Methodist Church. We have a couple of quick announcements before we get into this week's sermon. Per the guidelines of the bishop, we are continuing to hold services online only, but we're currently looking forward to June 28th, which, as of now, will be our first Sunday back for in-person worship. Of course, this will look very different in this new era of social distancing, so stay tuned for more info on what you and your family can do to help us minimize risk and meet the guidelines set out by the North Georgia Cabinet. As a reminder, you can stay in touch and get all the news you need at our website, noonanfumc.org, and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Finally, sign up to receive emails by going to our website and clicking Email List under Media. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll hopefully see you very soon. Good morning. Today's scripture lesson is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, 15 through 17, and 25 through 27. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: There used to be a cartoon in the Atlanta paper years ago, and I think it may have been in many other local newspapers as well, called Senator Snort, or at least Senator Snort was the main character in the cartoon. And I remember one in particular where he has his briefcase in his hand and he's leaving his office and he turns around and says to his administrative assistant, I've got to get back out to the grassroots and find out what it is that people want me to promise them. Promises. Some folks say they've fallen on hard times and not just recently, but it's been going on for a while now. The guy at the body shop tells you, well, I'll have it by Friday. I'll have it repaired. It'll look like new. And then the next Friday he calls you back and says the part still hasn't come in and you're stuck in the rental car that was made for somebody about half your size. Or you've ordered something from a local store and you're there to pick it up and it still hasn't come in from Atlanta or somewhere else. And the guy says, well, call me back in another day or two, even though he promised it would be there. And sometimes in an academic setting, the professor will tell us, there's nothing on the exam that we haven't covered in class. That's a promise. That's not always true, is it? Sometimes it seems as if the old saying really is the truth, promises are made to be broken. Things are not a total loss though. We all know folk whose word is their bond, a friend, someone in our family, someone in our church family. If they tell you they're going to do something, if they tell you they're going to have something for you by a certain time, well, it's going to happen. You can take it to the bank, just don't worry about it. And I believe most, if not all of us, strive to be that way in our better moments, though there are days when we we fall short. But as Christians, we all have the promises of God to rely on. So many promises. A retired older minister lay near death. His young pastor was on the way to call on him. Dear Lord, she asked. What can I say to this old soldier of the cross that's been ministering to the spiritual needs of so many for so long? What can I say to him? And as she came in, the old saint, the old pastor said to his younger pastor, said, Pastor, I cannot remember one of God's promises. And she said, that's quite all right. God has not forgotten any of them. The gospel lesson that was read a few minutes ago, thank you, for Karen, for doing that, from the 14th chapter of John's gospel contains several promises that I would like for us to examine just briefly, just for a a few minutes now. And I realize that this passage from John 14 is often read at funeral services, memorial services, celebration of life gatherings, but... It's larger than that. The context for it is much larger than that. And I hope we can appreciate that as we look at it together this day. Hopefully, prayerfully, it has something to say to us during these dark, difficult, strange days that we live through. In verse 2, we find a question that contains a promise. And Jesus says, in my father's house... There are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That's a promise. That's a promise for believers that there is a place prepared for us in the kingdom of heaven, a permanent residence. The New Revised Standard Version says dwelling places. The King James Version says mansions. And whether it's a single wide trailer or a mansion... Some real estate is made valuable simply by its location. A rancher was driving a a visitor from the east, from the east coast, a city slicker kind of visitor, across his ranch in western Texas. And it was blistering hot. And suddenly a gaudy looking bird just ran across the road in front of their vehicle. And the guy from the, the city was really interested and he inquired about it. What kind of bird is that? And the rancher said, it's a bird of paradise. The next mile was driven in silence, which was suddenly broken by the visitor from the city who said, long way from home, isn't it? Heaven is sometimes called paradise. And we all have a place there. Most of us are not real anxious to move from where we are until that place in heaven. But sometimes... We feel like we're a long way from home. We need to know it'll be there. Jesus promised. A second promise in verse 3, when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's a promise. And then there's that age-old question that folks have wondered about and and asked me about, and, and you talk about it, is where's heaven? Where is it? If there's an astronomical question or answer to that question, I'm I'm not sure what it is. When he promises to take us where he is, I understand Jesus to be making a promise of heaven. And heaven is where Jesus is. I remember hearing a televangelist years ago saying he thought that heaven was a planet, some kind of separate planet. In biblical days, folks thought of the universe as a three-storied or three-layered kind of universe, hell and earth and heaven above, always trying to understand where it is. So heaven was beyond or above the starry skies. Again, I believe heaven is where Jesus is, the risen and ascended Christ. And to be there with him, no encumbrances, no hindrances, no fears, no, no doubts. Oh, they tell me of a king and his beauty there. They tell me that mine eyes shall behold where he sits on a throne that is brighter than snow. In the city that's made of gold, I can still hear Willie Nelson singing that song, The Land of Unclouded Day. And it speaks to my heart at, at different times. Frederick Bigner has written a book he called Whistling in the Dark, A Doubter's Dictionary. And from that book, this is his definition, his description of heaven. And he begins with a passage of scripture. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, I make all things new. Everything is gone then made Jerusalem like every other city, torn apart, dangerous, heartbreaking, See me, You walk through the streets in peace now. Small children play unattended in the parks. No stranger walks by that you can't imagine being a fast friend. The city has become what those who loved it always believed that it could be and what in their dreams she always was. The new Jerusalem. And that seems to be the secret of heaven. The new Chicago or Leningrad or Hiroshima or Beirut. The new bus driver or hot dog guy or seamstress or hairdresser. The new you, the new me, the new everybody. He says it was always buried there like treasure in all of us. The best we had in us to become. And there were times you could almost see it. Even the least likely face that you can imagine asleep bore traces of it even the bombed out city after nightfall with the public square and shambles and moonlight glazing the broken pavement to speak of heavenly music or a heavenly day isn't always to gush but sometimes to catch a glimpse of something Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more. The book of Revelation says, describing heaven by what's not there. You can catch a glimpse of that too in almost anybody's eyes. If you choose the right moment to look in their eyes, even an animal's eyes. If the new is to be born, though the old has to die. It's the law of the place. For the best to happen, the worst must stop happening. The worst we are, the worst we do. But maybe it isn't as difficult as it sounds. It was a hardened criminal within minutes of death, after all, who said, only Jesus, remember me. And that turned out to be enough. This day you'll be with me in paradise was the answer that he just managed to hear. Heaven is where Jesus is. To be with Jesus is heaven. A third promise in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's a promise. Jesus doesn't just show us the way or tell us about the way. Jesus is the way. He doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. He doesn't just explain the meaning of life. He is life. And to know him is to have life in all Of its abundance, all of its fullness. The only way to the Father, according to John's Gospel, is through Jesus, and there are so many broad implications of that. Jesus went on to tell Thomas, "If you have known me, you would have known the Father, and from now on you know him and have seen him." Fourth promise, verses sixteen and seventeen. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. That's a promise. We don't have to face life in our own strength. I no one I need to hear that right now. I hope you need to hear that as well. None of us are capable of that. The power of the Counselor, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit is with us and will always be with us. Even right now. But the wherewithal to live life with enthusiasm, to still live our lives with a, a passion and a joy, Let me talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit from some writers that I've read, some some thinking that I've done, and maybe we can expand our our thoughts for just a moment. Like its counterparts in Hebrew and Greek, the Latin word spiritus or spiritus originally meant breath, as in expire, respiratory, and so on. And breath is what you have when you're alive and what you don't have when you're dead. That probably goes without saying, but... We'll say it anyway. The spirit, breath, life, the aliveness, the power of our life to speak of our spirit or our soul is to speak of that power or that force that is within you and within me. Here now, let's think about that a little bit more, that aliveness. When your spirit is unusually strong, the life in you and me is unusually alive. You can breathe it out into others' lives. And that's what it means to inspire, to breathe out the spirit, the life that God gives us. Spirit is highly contagious. A word that we are so familiar with at the moment, contagious. When people are very excited and very happy and very sad, you can catch it from them just as you can measles or... Or a yawn when others start to yawn and we start to yawn. You can catch it from the things that they say and the things that they do and from what happens to the air in the room when they enter that room, the spirit, the life they bring. Groups can have spirits as well. Church gatherings or church scattered. Anybody can testify to that if you've ever been caught up in the spirit of a football game and been there in person or maybe a political rally, or maybe even a protest march in the street. Spirit can be good or bad. It can be healing or destructive. Spirit can be transmitted across great distances or time or space. For better or for worse, we can catch the spirit of someone who spoke and lived and died a long time ago, whose faces we've never seen, whose languages we cannot speak. God also has a spirit. God is spirit, says the apostle John. You remember in John's gospel the story of Jesus and the woman at the well? And he says to her, God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. God is the power of life itself. God has breathed and continues to breathe life into the creation. inspires it. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is highly contagious. When Peter and his friends were caught up in it at Pentecost in Jerusalem, everybody thought they were drunk. They were so passionate and and, and so strong and so present you couldn't miss it. Even though it was not even 9 o'clock in the morning, the, the story tells us. Full of the Spirit. A fifth and final promise in verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's a promise. Do you need to hear that promise this day? Heaven knows I do. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him, with our Christ and with our heavenly father. At peace with him. That peace is a gift of God. And I believe that it can be our peace in the midst of any conflict, in the midst of the everydayness of life. And as we're finding out for the first time and even in the midst of pandemic and disease and destruction and death. Folks are looking in a lot of places for this peace. I think back to that country song that I heard just a few days ago, looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. And right now we seem to be looking for peace in all the wrong places and sometimes in all the wrong faces. But there's only one place where it can be found. There is only one face, the face of the Prince of Peace, where our peace and hope and joy resides. The promises of God are faithful and true. And we can count on them today and all the days of our life.
0: That's a promise. Amen.